Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And I'm going to be giving a series of two major talks on pancreas and incidental pancreatic lesions and complicated pancreatic lesions over the next couple of weeks. And both talks will have multiple parts, so we'll be covering a lot of different areas. And in part, I'm going to be speaking about some of this at a meeting in Las Vegas, actually in April, on incidentalomas, which is really one of the great medical problems these days. A lot's been talked about, and I've discussed it previously, showing how even Wikipedia speaks about incidentalomas and lists many incidental-type findings. Of course, uh, they did not list pancreas as one of the possibilities, but indeed it's an issue that even the New York Times speaks about, that the danger with incidental findings which begin at times to take on a life of their own. So indeed it is something that's important to understand. All of us know about it, but I think one of the things is how do we manage this? And I'm working on a series of articles and talks looking at the different areas, whether it's kidney or adrenal or pancreas. And as you know, we've published a lot about this, but I thought it'd be something good for us to look at what are people thinking. Well, incidentalomas. What is it? An unsuspected finding in an organ or organ system that was not the primary source of the patient's presentation. And of course, the key is whether or not this is an important finding or simply a leave-alone lesion. The fact is most findings we pick up are indeed of no clinical significance. You don't need to do another study and you don't need to do a biopsy, you don't need surgery. I guess you need to tell a patient if you speak to the patient that there's something there, but that it's not of any clinical importance and you don't need to go further. But that's not always gonna be the case. We often will pick up things that are important. It might be a renal cell carcinoma. Remember, two-thirds of all renal cells are picked up incidentally. It may be an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And this could be a total incidental finding in a patient, but it may be something that needs conservative watching or perhaps it needs more aggressive intervention. We could pick up lung lesions. Was the patient a smoker? Well, then you're thinking about cancer. Many patients have lung nodules. They're usually granulomas. But if you pick one up, sometimes it is indeed a cancer. In oncology patients, one could consider detecting a P as an incidental finding, though we know that 1% to 3% of oncology patients do have unsuspected PE, so perhaps it's really not an incidental finding. Maybe it's more of an unexpected finding. And then, of course, what we'll speak about today is pancreatic cystic lesions. And pancreatic cystic lesions are something that we never really worried about in the past. We used to think about pseudocysts from pancreatitis, but now cystic lesions are becoming a more important uh, finding for us, and we'll speak about that in these next few lectures. Now, one of the challenges also is a lot of these incidental findings are picked up in the ER setting. You weren't designing a study to look at the kidney or the pancreas. You maybe have a single phase looking for ruling out abdominal pain, and so you really don't have the optimal acquisition protocol to really exclude something that probably isn't of any clinical importance. You only have that one phase and one set of images. And it'd be great to bring the patient back quickly, but often the patient's long gone by the time you come up with these findings. And the pancreas, up to almost 3% of cases will have incidental pancreatic cystic lesions. And I will tell you, the harder you look, the more common you will find. And if you look at the MR literature, there's been articles between 20 and 40% have cystic lesions. So just some, what do we do with these things? Well, 
What about an incidental pancreatic mass? 3 to 5% of patients. Most of these are small cysts or IPMNs. And then the question is, what do you do with these? IPMNs can be early premalignant lesions. Do you follow them or don't you follow them? And if you follow them, how often do you follow them and for how long? It's not only that, but occasionally we will now pick up, particularly with more arterial phase imaging, incidental neuroendocrine tumors. Like this case, we are looking and seeing a 5 millimeter neuroendocrine tumor in the head of the pancreas. Now the fact is, we never saw these lesions before. We didn't scan fast enough or thin enough with a fast enough injection rate to pick up these lesions. But there it is. And what do you do about it? Well, typically the the philosophy is neuroendocrine tumors have to be removed. But now we're asking perhaps, do they all need to be removed? Good question. We talk about technique as being so important because if I show you this case, you look at the pancreas and you really say the study's normal. There's no dilated common duct, there's no dilated pancreatic duct, there's really no abnormality. I'll even put a circle. Do you see a mass? I really don't. But look what happened if you would have scanned 30 seconds earlier. There's a hypervascular three centimeter lesion in the head of the pancreas, which is a surgically proven neuroendocrine tumor. Look at those images side by side. Again, detection of lesions is so dependent on the protocol. In the old days, we didn't scan fast enough, as I mentioned, or early enough, and those lesions just were things we didn't see. Even in a patient like this with renal cell carcinoma and left nephrectomy, everything looks good, but look at that tail of the pancreas looks good. It's falling back into the renal fossa, very classic post-left nephrectomy. But if you would have scanned 30 seconds earlier, look at that vascular lesion in the tail of the pancreas. You missed a 3.5 centimeter hypervascular metastasis that would be resected and potentially can give the patient another 10 or 15 more years of survival. So very, very important to realize that the detection of incidental pancreatic lesions is very dependent on the scan protocol used. And even with talking about these incidental cysts, it's very, very important to remember that if you had non-contrast CTs, you often do not see these small cysts. In fact, the venous phase is really the optimal phase for picking up these tiny lesions. Now the question about how do you manage these lesions is indeed something that we are going to speak about. There have been a number of articles. Here's one from Hopkins, still in press, really talking about a better understanding of what these lesions are, what they can become, and how indeed you manage them. So let's think about this in different ways. If we think about cystic pancreatic lesions, we can talk about the non-neoplastic lesions, pseudocysts, serous adenoma, cyst adenoma, IPMNs, or intraductal papillary mucinous neoplasm in most cases, and typically MCNs, or mucinous cystic neoplasms. Now the problem with this list, of course, is that most IPMNs and MCNs are benign, but they do have malignant potential. When you talk about cystic neoplastic lesions, we talk about things like SPEN or Hamudi tumors. We talk about cystic neuroendocrine tumors. We talk about cystic degeneration of things like adenocarcinomas. We talk about lymphopathelial cysts, which potentially some people put in this neoplastic category, though in fact probably it should be placed in the non-neoplastic category, and then these cystic adenocarcinomas. So let's look at some examples. Pseudocyst is the classic cystic lesion. 
It's smooth, often well-defined. You have peripancreatic inflammation, and typically you have a clinical history of pancreatitis. The pancreatitis may have resolved, but the pseudocyst remains. And that was, for years and years, the classic cystic pancreatic lesion was a pancreatic pseudocyst. And again, still we see them very commonly. Pseudocysts are typically managed conservatively. Over time, they resolve. Other cases will not resolve, and they may need to be drained percutaneously or through, for example, a cyst gastroscopy through the stomach. But let's not speak too much about pseudocysts today, but let's keep them in mind that pseudocysts is something we need to consider, and the patient with a history of pancreatitis always think about that possibility first. But let's think about other cystic lesions. Serous cyst adenoma, very, t very much at times what we consider a classic appearance. The problem is many serous cyst adenomas do not have a classic appearance. So what do we typically see? A cystic lesion with multiple cysts and thin septations, often with a central scar that is calcified. If you biopsy the lesion, they contain glycogen but no mucin. Average age is about 68 at time of diagnosis, and they're more common in women. And there's three main categories, and we'll talk about those three main categories. And the least common is the simple cystic category, or the oligocystic type, less than 10%, and those are the ones that are probably hardest to distinguish from a mucinous cystic neoplasm, or MCN. Number of articles, this article by Choi, a very nice article, serous cyst adenoma of the pancreas, have various distinguishing imaging features. Typically, a serous cyst adenoma is morphologically classified as having either a polycystic, honeycomb, or oligocystic pattern. So again, it means there's not one classic appearance. As you can see from here, there are three. The polycystic is the most common, and the cysts are typically around two centimeters in size. You do get the central scar that often calcifies. That tends to make the critical diagnosis. The honeycomb pattern is the second most common. There are numerous cysts, but they're small. They're typically under a centimeter. And the numerous cysts at times cannot be separated as well as one would like. And as I mentioned before, the oligocystic is the least common. Often it's one big cystic lesion, and it can be confused with other cystic pancreatic lesions. Now, in saying there's three types, there are more than three types. There's atypical CT findings as well. You can have very large lesions, the so-called giant serous cyst adenoma. You can have serous cyst adenomas with intratumoral hemorrhage. You can have solid serous cyst adenomas. You can have unilocular cystic serous cyst adenomas with calcification and multifocal serous cyst adenoma, which is probably the least common. In that article by Choi, he does mention many of these unusual findings. Now, when you look at serous cyst adenomas, several things should also be remembered. So let me remind you of them. One, serous cyst adenomas can grow over time. So if you see the lesion increasing in size, it does not mean it's malignant. Serous cyst adenomas can, in fact, grow. It's more common in patients with von Hippel-Lindau, and in von Hippel-Lindau, you get serous cyst adenomas. You also get pancreatic cancers. You get renal carcinomas and renal cysts, for example. And serous cyst adenomas classically are more common in the pancreatic head, and that's good because MCNs are more common in the pancreatic tail. Now, some other points. Pancreatic serous cystic neoplasms account for about 20% of primary cystic pancreatic lesions. 
As we mentioned, most are benign, and it is considered a benign lesion, though occasionally you can get malignancies. And again, the appearance is classified classically in the description of a multiloculated cystic mass with a central scar and calcifications. Some other features. More common in women, middle-aged and older, and about 50% are picked up incidentally. Others may have nonspecific symptoms of abdominal pain, potentially a mass, or even jaundice. When we speak about patterns, the microcystic pattern, cysts will vary. There may be a few cysts to multiple cysts from a few millimeters to up to two centimeters in size. And again, that fibrous scar with calcification is just so classic. One thing that's very common with cirrhosis adenomas is the lack of visualization of duct dilatation. You typically do not see common duct or pancreatic duct dilatation despite the lesion's large size. And that is a very good uh, finding to help you think about that diagnosis. Now, although the fibrous scar or stellate pattern of calcification is present in only 30% of cases, it is the critical feature. Also, I will tell you that when I do see even punctate calcifications or even small calcification in the central pancreatic lesion that's cystic, um, it's making me always think about serous cyst adenomas. As I mentioned before, these lesions do not communicate with the pancreatic duct, so a large lesion that's not obstructing pancreatic duct, you better at least consider serous cyst adenoma. And these lesions are not vascular in terms of invasion. They don't invade portal vein or SMV or SMA or celiac axis. There's no adenopathy and there's no spread of disease. They are benign lesions in almost all cases. A couple examples with nice pathologic correlation, courtesy of Ralph Ruban. Very nice cystic lesion, what would be considered a microcystic serous cyst adenoma. You can see punctate calcifications in the lesion, but multiple cystic components. Here's another example. That large central scar, it almost looks like focal nodular hyperplasia would look from the central component, and that scar is indeed calcified centrally. Or this example, in the tail of a pancreas, multiple calcifications, cystic lesions, Again, the calcifications really force me to think about serous cyst adenoma. They can be smaller with less septations, as in this case, very nicely shown. Now, when you look at the honeycomb pattern, which is about 20% of cases, there are multiple cysts, and probably you can best describe it as honeycomb or sponge-like configuration. Now, when the cysts get very small, they may be hard to distinguish as individual cysts on the CT scan. But again, it's a very, very classic appearance. And here's just some examples. Look at the path CT correlation. When you look really hard at the CT, you begin to see this spongiform type configuration, this honeycomb pattern. And this other example, where I think it's a bit easier. Again, contrast-enhanced CT, thin sections, often with volume rendering to give better tissue mapping, really gives you a really good look at these individual microcysts. And last but not least, this oligocystic pattern. Again, it's a small percent of these cases. It does not have the central scar. And again, the differential diagnosis versus an MCN or an IPMN can be much more difficult. Things that are somewhat helpful, 
external lobular margins, and again, this lack of communication with the pancreatic duct. Remember, IPMNs classically communicate and, in fact, dilate the patient's pancreatic duct. Now, important features differentiating cirrhosis adenomas from mucinous neoplasms, again, this lobulated margins and lack of duct, uh, but again, this is not always the case. Occasionally, you can see duct obstruction, but that indeed is going to be very rare. So a couple examples. Here's a very unusual case because of the patient's age. You might have thought about an MCN, again, a bad age for an MCN. It should be 50, 60, not 18. You might have even thought about a Hamudi tumor that's very cystic. When I think about an 18-year-old, I'm thinking Hamudi tumor. I'm thinking pancreatic cyst, a true cyst. But again, this was an unusual case. And here's another one, very well-defined. This case is interesting because there is a dilated pancreatic duct, which breaks all the rules. Now, I did mention also there is a solid pattern. It's very rare. Sometimes it's more solid than more cystic. It can be very much variable in terms of appearance. We also see cirrhosis adenomas that are solid and vascular. To me, they look identical to neuroendocrine tumors. And here's a solid example. That looks like a neuroendocrine tumor. It's vascular, it's mainly solid. Maybe there's some cystic changes centrally, but maybe that's simply necrosis or this appearance, large mass, there are some cystic components. I think you should consider a serous adenoma here. It's vascular, but could you consider a neuroendocrine tumor? I guess so. It's not the most classic appearance. So again, you need to be thinking about these possibilities. We talk about serous adenomas before that they can at times have an aggressive appearance. There are rare cases that have been described as such with tumors causing direct invasion into blood vessels, nerve, lymph nodes, and nearby structures. Histologically, they're similar to typical serous adenomas, but they do have this aggressive behavior. And typically, it's larger lesions and lesions located in the head of the pancreas. So again, it's unusual. Here's an example of such a case. Uh, when you start seeing involvement of vessels, I tend not to think about benign serous tumors. Anytime I see vascular involvement, I'm thinking about more aggressive tumors. And of course, here you would not have thought about serous adenoma anyway with that dilated pancreatic duct. As I noted, it's important to differentiate serous adenomas from other cystic pancreatic lesions because in many cases, these can be managed conservatively when they're small. When they get larger, patients may have discomfort and then these lesions will get removed. But again, there's a lot of variability in terms of surgeons' preferences. Many surgeons will figure, hey, it's probably a serous adenoma, but it's easy to remove. It's causing some mild symptoms. It will only get worse over time as lesions can grow. Let's just take it out and not worry about it. So again, uh, but typical rules for surgical resection, symptomatic patients, and if it's over four centimeters in size. But again, that's not perfect rules. And again, um, these indeterminate lesions, of course, are the ones that are surely going to be resected as well. Now, when you look at differential diagnosis of cystic lesions that mimic serous adenomas, I showed you an example of pseudocyst. I mentioned mucinous tumors, IPMNs, cystic neuroendocrine tumors, von Hippel-Lindau, and lymphopathelial cysts. So let's 
talk about some of these lesions. But before we talk about the mucinous cystic neoplasma of the pancreas, let's just take maybe a five or 10 minute break, get a cup of coffee, it's Passover, so get some matzah, and come right back and we'll get started again. See you in a few moments. <laughs> 